Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Today is very special because David brought a guest in, and that is Adam Hooper. Adam is the CEO and founder of Real Crowd based out of Portland, Oregon. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Hanging in there? How are you? <laughs> doing doing as well as we can given the circumstance, right? Exactly. Uh, We're trying to trying to run a podcast out of the out of the home is a is a new challenge, but uh, here we are. Yeah. So if we hear yeah. kids, dogs, airplanes, cars, you know, all that stuff, that's normal now. <laughs> that's the new normal. Uh, that that's great. I know that I'm in between you two. You're Adam. You're in Oregon. And David, you're in New York, and, and I'm in Nebraska, so we're, we're really spread out here, but thank God for technology that, that's doing what it is right now. Absolutely. Uh, David, you, you brought Adam onto the show. How did you guys meet? So funny story is that, um, you know, we, we've interviewed Adam and, and worked with him on, on, on content and, and stuff for, for a bunch of times, but Adam w- brought me onto his podcast, the the one, the Real Crowd pro- podcast. I don't even, I mean, it was probably over over a year ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first time I did a podcast. And then so when things kind of came around in my, in our company and, and we, we were thinking about getting into podcasting, I was comfortable doing it because I had been already been a guest on uh, with Adam. So now this was, a, I thought this would be a good opportunity, especially given what's going on in the market to return the favor get him on this show and find out what's going on. So thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Absolutely. It's, it's good to be on the other side of the mic uh, every once in a while. <laughs> so what is your, uh, I mean, so yeah, we're saying like, I'm you know doing this from home in Brooklyn now. So it's a whole, whole new thing. Been, been working from remotely for over three weeks now, just getting used to it. What, how, how, what's it like on your end? Yeah. So I was telling uh, Eric before we got on, you know, we, we had a very early, exposure to this given the the first case in Oregon was an employee at the school that all three of my kids go to and that was the end of February so this very quickly went from a thing that we have to kind of pay attention to and figure out how to prepare for to like right in the middle of it Um, so that was late February so we've I feel like we've got some practice with this uh, social uh, isolation thing we've been uh, hunkered down for a while now you know, the beauty is technology, right? It's so great we can we can do this remote. It doesn't matter if we're in the office or if I'm in my closet. The the ability to to leverage all this technology that our industry and, and just generally has been developed uh, makes this so much more possible today than it would have been even just a short few years ago. So I think for that we're grateful. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these shifts. You know, you said you've been working remote for three weeks now how much of a long-term shift is that going to have on some of these different uses that are going to impact our, our industry, right? I think that's what's super interesting to try to see what, what are the, what pieces of this are going to stick long-term and just be some behavioral changes that, that have a pretty big impact on our, on our business. So I think we're, we're watching that closely and interested to see how some of this uh, ends up. So can you just talk for one second, just give um, folks who, who, who may not be aware what, what real crowds space in the CRE industry is and, and so, so where you're viewing things from? Yeah, uh, generally you know, crowdfunding is the, the kind of uh, umbrella term for our space. Uh, we run a marketplace for real estate managers that are looking to raise capital from accredited investors uh, through our marketplace, essentially. So we'll you know, work with the real estate managers when they're acquiring an asset or recapitalizing or raising capital for a fund. 
they come to us, we host their their offering on our marketplace, and then uh, you know a, a number of accredited investors will come in, do their diligence, review the documents, tr- you know execute that transaction through the platform, and then have that relationship directly with the individual investor. So we've been around, gosh, almost seven, well, a little over seven years now, actually. So early 2013, uh, we started the company and you know six and a half billion dollars of, of real estate through the platform later here we are um it's been again i think an interesting window into the transaction markets that we sit mm-hmm. right we're, yeah. we're involved typically when uh, a manager will put a deal under contract or if they're looking to recap they'll engage us you know pretty early in that process around the same time they're going to be working with their lenders so it's been it's been an interesting shift over the last three to four weeks of the tone of those conversations and how people are looking forward and you know, where those transaction markets are, are going right now. Uh, so I think we've got a pretty interesting window into the overall you know, transaction activity in the real estate space. Yeah. So, so the first question on that is, you know, how are deals moving forward right now? How much of it is people on both sides of the equation, I guess, both, both people putting assets on the market and people looking to invest in, in, in real estate. Are, are deals moving forward or are we in kind of like a wait and see moment? Yeah, as with most in our space, it's it depends, right? We've had a number of deals that have been impacted, whether that's through a lender repricing terms, right? Mm-hmm. High, higher interest rates, we've seen interest rates, you know, certainly on bridge product spike. Um, higher reserve requirements, which require you know a different look at the capital stack. We've seen folks walk away from some pretty significant earnest money, right? I think we just saw a couple of days ago Blackstone walk from a twenty million dollar earnest money for a deal yeah. in, in Oakland. Yep, yeah, that's not an insignificant amount of capital, <laughs> even for even for some of these bigger companies to walk away from. So I guess it, we've seen some transactions just fail, right? Due to a buyer today doesn't want to pay yesterday, let alone last week's price. For these assets, I think that's going to be a while before some of that new underwriting shakes through, and the sell side realizes what that new reality is, right? So, so I think we're in this limbo phase where we will see transactions pause. Um, we'll see some people walk away from transactions that were maybe in progress, maybe they weren't hard on the earnest money yet, or they have to make that decision: is it is it something that they're going to walk away from that earnest money? Uh, on the flip side of that, we've seen a few deals that we're looking at acquiring maybe all cash. We've seen some recapitalizations that are going to go forward. So depending on where you know, geog- geographically you are, what part of the capital stack you're looking at, I think we'll see some transactions continue, but I, I certainly don't imagine it's going to be as robust as, as we've seen over the last you know five, six months. And um, do you have a sense at this point of, is there a sense in the market for what kind of horizon we're looking at for figuring out what the new normal is going to be? We're looking at like three months, six months, or, or again, is it just a little bit too early to kind of make those kind of assessments? Yeah, I, th- I believe it's probably still too early. You know, my, my gut going into this was this is probably a three to six month sort of a pause the unknowns being again, I mean, we have what's different about this time is we have a huge. It was a real estate entered the space, entered this crisis in a pretty good position. Right. Um, leverage was pretty conservative compared to historical, certainly compared to the last cycle, right? Oh eight oh nine. Vacancy rates were were pretty low compared to historical. Rent growth was pretty high compared to historical. So we we entered into it with real estate in a pretty healthy position. So this isn't a 
a real estate driven problem. Right. right. My concern is how quickly does it become a real estate problem, right? If you've got massive vacancies, if you've got, uh, you know, retail tenants that can't pay the rents, if you've got, I think I saw somewhere, uh, you know, up to 40% of New Yorkers won't be able to pay their more or pay their rents, uh, in April that very, very quickly becomes a real estate problem, right? And so seeing how, seeing how some, maybe some stimulus packages can come together, how potential forbearance with banks comes together, to me, that's still too soon to tell. And I don't think from a transaction perspective, I don't think any of that pain starts to shake out on the sell side for probably three to four months at the earliest. And I think until that pain is felt, until there's this repricing, you know, I don't imagine many buyers are going to be super aggressive. So I think there will be opportunities out there. I think there's going to be some, you know, maybe some uh, debt maturity driven issues, but mm-hmm. even in those situations, right, what, what bank is going to say that they want to take the asset back right now? It's probably going to be you know, a 90 day extension. We'll see what the world's like then, and then we can readdress. So there will probably be some kicking of the can down the road a bit until some of that can shake out. But, you know, until we get a a feel for where the floor is from the epidemiological side of this with this you know, very acute external force that's driving this whole issue until we see some stability or certainty and, and understanding around the spread and, and the impact of that from a health perspective. Uh, until we get to there, I, I don't know how much certainty we're going to have in, in our industry or just financial markets in general. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, one point that I that I've heard that I that thought made a lot of sense too is another kind of I don't know I don't know if the word benefit is right or or at least a a good thing. <laughs> I can't think of the right. It, it's not a good thing, but at least it's it's a it's a it's just the reality is that some less bad news, less bad news, or that that you know w- one thing that's 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 helping right now is that because we went through what we did 10 years ago and the when with the credit crisis and the fed and other and the treasury department and the government having to figure out a bunch of ways to stabilize the financial system now we had like what there was a bunch of existing solutions that we could quickly go to this time around so like TALF being re- revived very quickly um so and at least at this point um, guaranteeing as you know buying asset backed securities uh, um, agency backed um, securities and potentially moving on to private label as well but like not having to like have this period of oh what do we you know what what can we do in the in the financial system when the fed like okay well you know we, we did these programs last time we could do these very quickly and that's going to help stabilize at least the financial system pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, so that helps get us through this acute period and then you know we'll see what happens once this giant economic pause is over. Yeah. But um, at least I didn't have to like, you know, invent the wheel again on some of these things. Yeah. The, the speed and the size of response with, you know, certainly compared to 0809 is mind boggling, right? The, the, I think it was 089, it was almost a year until some of these programs were, were put in place. So I agree completely. The speed that we've been able to respond has been certainly a benefit the size of the stimulus and, and uh, initiatives that are coming out has certainly been you know, far surpassed anything we've done historically. The, the concern is, have we, have, we, have we used all of our weapons, right? W- w- what's left in the tank 
if this doesn't kickstart things, if this doesn't get that stabilized effect that it's looking for, um, or maybe we can, you know, maybe we have to invent some new things. So we'll, we'll see again. I think that's where a lot of this, it's still so fresh. We're still very much in the early stages of this thing. It'll be, I think it'll be a little while before we see some of these measures that have been taken, what that actual impact is from a, you know, an actual operational level, right? Not just talking about how's the market responding to these things, but mm-hmm. what is the end of day impact to consumers, end of day impact to businesses? Is it enough to to weather this, to get them through? And, and what can that look like on the other side? Yeah. I mean, it seems to me too, like, you know, given that like, one of the points that you made, which I think is a very important one, is that this is not being, this is not starting with issues within uh, the real estate sector, or even mm-hmm. issues more broadly inside the economy. It's not like there's a bubble that's bursting or there is too much leverage or, you know, all these, some of these things that have created problems in the press. This was an entirely exogenous event that, mm-hmm. you know, that came in, disrupted everything. It seems to me that if like, if, if there is the fiscal, po- like there are long-term implications to doing a giant fiscal policy, but it's also a recognition that why should businesses that were otherwise healthy ha- be wiped out because of, everyone had to stay home, not because right. like people, you know, couldn't, you know, people literally couldn't go to work or literally couldn't go to these things. So is it seems just a, like on a policy perspective, potentially more justifiable to be, okay, you know, if we just underwrite things for a while, we get everything through this. And then when we come back to, you know, so we, we don't let too many jobs go away. We don't let too many businesses die. And if like, if that's the framework, then that will then have the, uh, the then the real estate fundamentals also will be okay because, the, you mm-hmm. know, we won't have like these, massive hits on vacancy, but I don't know if that's going to happen, but that, that's kind of like my, my best case hope for what we see happen with fiscal policy. I don't know. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's where we're, we're still a little bit early to see how that shakes out. Right. I think that's certainly the hope is that this can, this can bridge this period. If it is shorter, if it's, you know, two to three months of, of the shutdown and we can come out of it with good spirits and good confidence. I think that's the, the optimal scenario right now. Once it's, you know, if, if it goes longer, if this goes into Q3, Q4, we get another big spike in the fall. Uh, I think that'll be, that'll put that stress back on the system and, and maybe make it a, a more prolonged. But that's where, again, I just think we're too, we're too early in some of this from that, again, very acute external health driven event until we get some understanding around how broad that's going to be and what that impact is. Uh, I think we'll have a little better idea of what that, the other side of this will look like. So this is this. What kind of things are you telling you know your the, the investors that are going through your platform? What kind of questions and what kind of things are you saying? Is it is it these sort of what, what we've been talking about more or less? Yeah, you know we've we've long taken a position that real estate starts with risk, right? And understanding understanding the risk of your investments and understanding the risk profile of what you're looking to invest in and, and how that meets within your own financial picture. And we've been we've been saying for I don't know last probably eighteen months well gosh last like five or six years that we're cautiously optimistic for this to continue barring some external global event that nobody can foresee uh, and here we are so you know I think a lot of investors are looking at they're still looking at real estate obviously the the, you know, the volatility in the public markets is always going to cause uncertainty and a pause for a lot of investors out there. However, that's one of the greatest benefits of direct real estate investments is is that illiquid nature of it. It is that ability to smooth out this daily pricing. You know, again, in our our 
space of just private markets, right? We don't do anything in the, in the public markets. That is one of the benefits of having direct real estate in your portfolio is it can act as that hedge. It can act as that smoothing function through equity market volatility. So from that perspective, I think a lot of our investors are coming at it from a pretty good mindset. The, again, the depth and the speed that this, this, uh, public markets did collapse and, and crash and now have recovered and depending on which day you're looking at it, that, that causes some people to pause, right? Uncertainty just generally will cause people to, to pull back and, and kind of wait and see approach. That said, I think those that have access to capital in the next quarter, two quarters and can move, will have some pretty interesting wealth creation opportunities, right? I think you know, we haven't been able to say that for almost a decade, that I think there will be some opportunities on the other side of this that will have you know, the, the, the makings of some potentially really interesting wealth creation opportunities. There's always deals to be had. It's just which side of the table you're on and, and how hard you have to look to find those deals. So you know, we're, we're seeing a, a bit of a pause right now until we get some certainty. And then I think we'll see, again, with, you know, with the transaction markets pick back up, um, depending on what that opportunity set looks like, I think there's going to be some pretty, pretty interesting buys out there. Oh, I think the... The term that we used last time we had a whole newsletter about it for about two years was distressed real estate strategies. So the mm-hmm. coming in, you know, these funds that'll, th- there should be an opportunity for funds both on the debt and equity side that are, that, that to help any assets that, that do end up, um, you know, an REO opportunities or that kind of thing. That seems to be how this industry kind of gets through the down cycles is. Right. You know, buying those kind of assets, turning them around. And actually there's quite a, you know, if you're successful with that, that's, that's a pretty, pretty nice returns on those kind of strategies. Yeah. And that's one thing we're, we're trying to figure out how how does our role as the marketplace shift or need to shift to be able to best help people solve those challenges on the, on the existing ownership side, and then also meet those opportunities from the investor side. And in those times, right, you have to optimize for speed and for certainty. And so we're looking at, you know, what can we do within our marketplace? Is there, you know, a different process that we can run? Is there a different pipeline that we can look to generate? Um, is it forming our own opportunistic fund so that we can be ready and take advantage of some of these opportunities? Because that's, you know, speed and certainty are paramount when you're in a distress situation. And so that's, you know, as we look through how does how does the nature of our business need to change or, or does it need to change to better accommodate those uh, situations when they come up o- over the next handful of months as this this continues to play out? And in terms of um, the you know looking at the different property sectors, at this point it seems you know from what we're hearing and what we're seeing pretty intuitively, hospitality retail get, getting the most hammered right now. Mm-hmm. Multifamily. A little bit of a question mark given the number of tenants' ability to pay rent, at least in the short term. Uh, but but long term, probably you know, multifamily seems like it's always a good sector. Mm-hmm. Office a little harder to tell, and then industrial seems, you know, especially given that it's kind of in some ways taking on even a bigger role in distribution than before, right. is actually kind of well, you know, sort of in a, in in the in the best spot right now. Does that kind of align with? What, what you've been seeing? It does. Yeah. I think hospitality to me is, it, that's a pretty, again, acute short term. I, I think once, once this comes back and people are comfortable traveling, you know, business will go on. The multifamily, you know, very fundamental supply demand imbalance. I don't think this is going to change 
if anything, it might exacerbate that, assuming you were not looking at 30% unemployment and 40% of the population not paying their rent. Uh, I, I don't think this changes the the fundamentals of that imbalance in the multifamily space. Um, industrial, I agree. I think that's going to continue to be a bright spot, especially with the additional load that this is this is causing. You know, I think Amazon is <laughs> pretty well primed to uh, to to weather this and and put even more load on that kind of shipping logistics kind of infrastructure real estate. You know, office is interesting again. Like we talked about at the beginning, how much does this remote things yeah. right? If if you know, what we saw in the the oh eight nine crisis was a 20, 30% reduction in labor force, depending on what the industry was. And, and companies just figured out how to operate more efficiently with that reduced resource. And, and that just never really changed, right? That was one of the things that stuck. And so if now we can figure out how to operate efficiently with 20 or 30% usage of office space, right? If, if we can work remote from home or if we can change some of the, the layout of these offices for more kind of hoteling of space, you know, what impact does that have long-term for office space usage? I think that's going to be interesting to see how much this sticks as a long-term behavior change. You know, the one that that really got me, and, and I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out why, was why senior housing got just absolutely annihilated at the beginning of this, mm-hmm. certainly in the public markets, right? I mean, they were seeing stocks that were down 40 plus percent in the senior senior living space. I don't know if that was just a massive overreaction to to the population that, that COVID-19 seems to affect, or if there was something else that that drove that. But Again, I, I don't see the overall demand for that space materially changing because of this. I think again, everybody's going to continue to age. To me, I was I was I was interested. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I'm I'm really trying to find out why the senior housing space got just absolutely crushed when this thing first started. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one, or if you've seen anything or any rationale behind that. I mean, I think for, for, we're trying to sort that through too. We actually like got a couple of pieces in the works. Um, looking at that, but I mean, I think one thing is is just from the perception stamp, standpoint, like, you know, one of the, the first big stories in this crisis was the facility in Seattle, where, you know, a number of people, so I think a lot of people like, oh my god, these, you know, horror stories about what's going to happen in these um, facilities if, if someone goes in. So I think there might have been just like that kind of emotional reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I also... But also from an operational perspective, I imagine some of the costs are, are a little higher right now. If you if if they're having to do extra precautions or extra, you know, more intense sanit- sanitizing and, and things to keep the residents healthy. So I think that that seems to be like a more again like a, another short term pressures that they're right. some of their costs are going up right now um, as they you know to operate these things safely. So, but it is going to be an interesting question what happens. But again, you know, but we we are trying to, you know, we're, we're, we've got, it's, it's it's something that we're actively trying to report out right now on yeah. our side. Yeah, it's it's again, I agree. I think it was more of an emotional reaction to this, and I mean, if facilities are cleaning them their their facilities better and making it less likely for any of these things to happen in the future, is that such a bad thing long term? Right. <laughs> I think what's interesting is, you know, with with my kids, it's like how how fundamental some of these preventative measures are just wash your hands, right? <laughs> like it's not, that shouldn't be that hard. We should just all wash our hands. Um, that's a very basic thing to help, you know, with these, with these different uh, health issues. So I think, again, those are some of those, you know, long-term societal impacts. Like how, how is this going to change those behaviors? Um, it, or how long are we going to need to mentally have this six foot bubble around us whenever right. we go out in public? Right. 
it's going to be interesting to see how those how those play out long term for sure. Well, Sam, what I wonder about office spaces is are we going to go like is there going to be more demand for cubicles again? Yeah, <laughs> I want like, my I want my office with a door. <laughs> I don't want to do these open offices anymore. Just give me give me some kind of dividers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't. That's, uh, do you have any other um, any other thoughts or points you wanted to to, to kind of highlight here? Um, you know, I think that's pretty good on the on the different sectors. Um, you know, another thing that we're paying attention to and, and trying to see where some of the opportunities might be or, or you know, up and down the capital stack, right? How, how is this going to affect different parts of the capital stack? Obviously, you know, we've got all the margin calls on the on the lenders that have leveraged in the news. Um, you know, is there going to be a need for more bridge debt? You know, what, what does that look like? Are some of these mortgage funds going to be getting squeezed and, and maybe there's some opportunities to go acquire some loans? I think looking across the capital stack is also going to be, for, you know, for more sophisticated investors. Uh, I think there's going to be some interesting opportunities there. But you know, as we said before, I, I don't know how much immediate activity there's going to be from lenders in terms of, uh, you know, default with these assets, um, whether it's just technical default or actual default, maturity default, whatever that might be. I think there's probably going to be a pretty, a pretty good sense of let's, let's put a 90 day buffer in there. Let's put some, some forbearance or just an extension just to see what the world looks like in 90 days. Right. I think there will be some time that's bought before making any of those rash decisions now, just given the level of levels of uncertainty with, with all these different aspects that we've been talking about. So I think it's just going to require investors to look, you know, look a little bit harder for those opportunities and, and um, you know, they will be there. It's just a matter of, I guess, when and and what sector and, and what part of the capital stack. Yeah, I think it was Moody's that was pointing out that if you looked at, you know, previous cycles or like previous shocks, like the financial crisis or 9-11, the delinquency rate on hotel loans didn't really appreciably show up until eight to 12 months later, partly because of like these initial forbearance periods or like, you know, attempts to you know, for the CMBS loans, stuff to the service, special servicing. So it actually, it took, even with that kind of a shock, it's, it did take a while before um, we saw the delinquency rates like really rising and then, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of opportunities emerge. So I feel like there's some sense of like, oh, you know, like what are delinquency rates going to be like next month? And we may not see anything next month, you know, right. because I think, you know, just everybody has like this, you know, banks are not going to, I think everything, you know, for all the reasons you're saying, I mean, there's, I think there's going to be, seems to be a pretty good understanding in the market that like we just kind of need to hold steady for a while mm-hmm. before we, we we start having these kind of uh, take start taking assets on 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 onto balance sheets or figure out who really can't pay and that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's where it, I, I believe it is just too early to tell what what that looks like. Again, if there's if there's more stimulus that comes out, depending on if there's any regulatory guidance or, or restrictions um, around what a landlord or what a tenant can or, or cannot do, um, both in the commercial space, right? Here in Oregon, uh, I think your governor just announced that they're putting a stay on on commercial evictions too for the next three months. Yeah, that's in so, New York too. Is it New York too? Yeah. So you know, these are all unprecedented impacts, right? I, I certainly don't have a mental model for how to forecast a, a global pandemic like this. <laughs> and that's when I've been trying to talk if you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you find one, let me know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's going to impact 
everybody differently. And I think there are just so many unknowns from the regulatory side, from stimulus and response side, from just fundamentals, um, that it's, it's, I, I hope we know more in kind of that three to six month window and we start to see some, some uh, better understanding and, and certainty around a lot of these different things we're talking about today. But again, it's just, it's, it's hard to tell how, how long that window is before we get to that certainty. Well, how about this? How about um, maybe three, six months, we come back and we have another conversation and we see where things are at. Sounds like a plan to me. I'm up for that. All right. Um, well, I think we're good. So I th thank you for, you know, thank you, especially given the circumstances, um, taking the time to, to, to talk with me, answer my questions and, and, and come on the podcast. Yeah. Great to be on. Thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, maybe we'll, we'll switch around and have you on the other side of the mic for an episode on uh, the real crowd podcast before not too long. Sounds good. All right, Adam and David, this is great. I just sat back and listened to the two guys that know the most in this room. <laughs> and that's you guys. So I appreciate all the good information. And uh, I want to thank you, David, again, for bringing Adam onto the show. Absolutely. All right. And I want to thank you, the listening audience, for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.